Transform your investment strategy with the MD Platinum Global Private Equity 2023 Trust. This unique offering exclusive to physician families uses non-traditional strategies that allow you to diversify your portfolio and potentially help grow your wealth over the long term. With access to institutional level private equity opportunities, this solution could be what you need to help you meet your financial goals. Learn more about this limited time opportunity at mb.ca slash private equity. Welcome to episode 33 of the MD Market Watch podcast. I'm your host, Alex Chung, content manager with MD Financial Management. After delivering solid performance in the first half of the year, markets have pulled back in the third quarter. As investors are receiving their quarterly statements right about now, it's once again a natural time to reflect on recent events as well as look ahead. We know you love to hear directly from our portfolio managers. So Craig Maddock, Vice President, Senior Portfolio Manager and Head of the Multi-Asset Management Team, and Wesley Blight, a portfolio manager on Craig's team, have joined us once again to reflect on the quarter, discuss key drivers of investment performance, our positioning, and what lies ahead. Please enjoy. Welcome back, Craig, Wes, and thanks again for joining the podcast. Let's start off by looking back. Overall, market performance has been solid year to date. However, we gave back some performance in the third quarter. Craig, what were the key drivers of performance? It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Year-to-date returns across the portfolios we manage have been positive, but not without some ups and downs. We saw declines in most major stock and bond indices in the third quarter, although there were some areas that performed pretty well. We have been fairly cautious throughout the year and have kept our portfolios positioned defensively. And in Q3, we were quite happy that uh, we made that decision. We've managed to continue to make money for our investors and have avoided some of the bigger pitfalls seen in the market recently. That's something we in the multi-asset team strive for. So naturally, we're pretty pleased about that. The biggest events for markets in the quarter was that inflation has been pretty resilient. And central banks have made it pretty clear now that they're going to keep interest rates elevated until inflation comes down to their target levels. Now, while that's consistent with our view, most people had expected inflation and rates to normalize a little sooner than that. So the idea of rates being higher for longer is a notable change in expectations. The result is that there was a sharp rise in interest rates. This has caused investors to reprice stocks and bonds based on these updated interest rate assumptions. Now, this was particularly impactful for longer dated bond portfolios and more rate sensitive stocks selling off. And of course, all of this has increased the probability of a global recession in the next year. However, in terms of good news, well, government bonds moved lower, high yield bonds performed quite well. And with oil prices moving significantly higher, a nearly 30% increase in the quarter, thanks to production cuts from OPEC, plus the energy sector performed quite well, which helped energy stocks in the US but was particularly helpful in Canada since the energy sector is such a significant impact here. Even when there's bad news, there are some positive reactions to markets somewhere. So it sounds like the consensus is now higher interest rates for longer. This is obviously top of mind for many Canadians. So Wes, do you mind explaining how this all works and what it means? Basically, elected governments are in charge of fiscal policy, so that's taxing and spending. Central banks like the Bank of Canada or the U.S. Federal Reserve are nonpartisan organizations that are in charge of monetary policy. So that's basically controlling the monetary supply in order to maintain economic stability. And knowing that inflation and deflation are really destabilizing for an economy, the main goal of central banks is usually to maintain a low and stable rate of inflation. And for the U.S. Federal Reserve, the central bank in the U.S., they're also tasked with keeping an eye on employment levels. The main tool for all central banks is to do this controlling by changing interest rates. And that's a little bit like stepping on the gas or the brake on a car. By changing rates, they can provide incentive to increase or decrease economic activity. 
And in terms of the actual mechanics, they usually have a key interest rate that they can change. And like the rate that they charge banks to borrow from them. And when they change this rate, the new rate slowly filters through the entire economy. And as an example, when they increase their key rate, banks will correspondingly increase their mortgage rates, car companies will increase car loan rates, and so on. The impact from these higher rates from the central banks aren't immediately felt. And it takes time for borrowers to renew their mortgages or companies to refinance, etc. And what that does is it means there's a lagged impact for higher rates from central banks. Now, when rates move lower, companies and individuals are given an incentive to spend more money. Think back to the pandemic, rates were floored to their all-time low to enable economic growth during the shutdown. And then correspondingly, when we got into the reopening, monetary policymakers, so central banks, wanted to make sure that there wasn't going to be any impediment to the corresponding recovery. It's cheaper to borrow money at that point in time to buy a new car, but it's also cheaper for a large company to borrow money to expand their business, open a new production facility, buy new equipment, open a new branch in a different region, or hire people. And naturally, the same thing happens in the other direction. When it comes to investing, we calculate what we think a stock or a bond is worth based on a series of expectations. For stocks, that includes what kind of sales growth we think a company might have, what kind of cost they'll have, and ultimately what the cash flows and net income will be. We forecast their numbers out into the future, and because of the time value of money, remember that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future, we then discount back the future numbers to see what they're worth today. That feeds right into our valuation calculation. Now, the discount rate we use is based on the company's cost of capital, which is directly impacted by the interest rates that are set by central banks. So when rates go up, the cost of capital goes up and slows down economic growth. And in turn, it puts downward pressure on stock prices. Now, when it comes to bonds, when rates go up, bond prices go down. And when rates go down, bond prices go up. And that's because bonds that already exist are paying a fixed interest rate to investors. When market rates go down, investors can no longer buy bonds paying the old higher rate. And the older bond is now relatively more valuable. So the actual price is just based on math. The older bond and a new bond have to be priced so that an investor is indifferent to buying either of them. If they were mispriced, investors would immediately buy the more attractive bond, driving the price up to where it should be. And that's the basic impact for interest rate changes on stocks and bonds. Although there are, you know, there's lots of nuance in there as well. For bonds, the price impact of rate changes is greater for bonds with more term and greater for bonds with a lower coupon rate. There's less of a cushion. And for stocks, the impact of rate changes is greater for some industry sectors than others. Industries with companies that generally carry higher debt loads usually feel a bigger impact because the cost of capital is more influential and higher dividend paying stocks are usually heavily impacted since the dividend becomes more or less attractive when the yield available on a bond changes. Growth stocks are also usually more impacted than value stocks since they usually have more of their value derived from earnings and cash flows generated far into the future, which are discounted back in today's dollars for valuation purposes. There's less of a valuation cushion for growth stocks relative to value stocks. Thanks for the crash course, Wes. I think it's important to understand the mechanics of interest rates and how it can impact the value of different investments. So again, higher interest rates for longer. 
What does this mean going forward? The third quarter is a good demonstration that things can change pretty quickly. We know that central banks are committed to reducing inflation, and as we've been experiencing, the path of inflation doesn't unfold exactly as expected. When things change, it happens in a hurry, and everybody believes that at some point inflation, and therefore rates, will normalize at a lower level than where we're at today. The trick is that by the time it's obvious, the market will have already moved. So the prudent thing to do is to get invested in the right strategy and stay invested for the long term. For bond-heavy portfolios, so those portfolios that have a higher allocation to bonds, and actually for all portfolios, but you know, more meaningfully for bond-heavy portfolios, we're really keen on our ability to participate in future performance that is really appealing compared to where we have been over the past number of years. And even if yields climb a little bit more from where we are today, over the coming years, investors can do really well here. For investors with a long time horizon, with today's starting yields being so high, this may turn out to be a great time to be buying bonds. Appreciate the context, Wes. If you're a long-term investor in bonds, it's going to pay to be a lender as yields climb. Back over to you, Craig. What other topics or themes will be important as we look towards 2024? I think you guys have the right idea with some of the themes you've already touched on. You know, markets, uh, they're going to continue to be fast moving and they're going to throw us an occasional surprise. The best way to be prepared for the unknown is to be prepared for different scenarios and to set up a well-diversified portfolio that can achieve your investment goals under a variety of circumstances. So we're keeping our eyes on things like China. That's certainly been an interesting area lately. And of course, China is one of the world's largest economies. That's really driven a lot of the world's growth over the last 20 years. And growth has slowed down in the last year. Uh, real estate sector slowed down, been an increasing tension between the US and China. And while it's highly likely that China's growth rate will pull back from what we've seen in the last couple of decades, it'll still surpass what we'll see in most of the rest of the world. So for me, it still remains a very important place to invest. And it's also gonna be a big driver of the global economy, both in terms of supply and demand. And of course, geopolitics remains important and can change the state of the global economy at the margin. India was one of the countries with positive stock performance in Q3. We're going to continue to keep an eye on things there. And then, of course, conflict continues in Ukraine and the recent turmoil in the Middle East. And these will obviously continue to warrant observation on our behalf. Now, at the stock and sector level, uh, we remain biased towards quality and growth, but, but only marginally so. Say the recent run-up in very large growth stocks has been one of the few anomalies in an otherwise lower return year. And while we're not going to sell out of all of our winners, we're going to continue to rebalance our portfolios by redistributing the gains to parts of the portfolios that are most likely to perform in the next phase of the business cycle. And we'll continue to closely follow the path of the global economy. Some of the news we see will inform our long-term fundamentals. Some of it will be short-term in nature and maybe just noise that won't affect the long-term. But as always, we know that stocks and bonds will fluctuate in value. We also know that they generally go up in value over time. We just completed a review of our capital market assumptions, and similar to what Wes mentioned, we're currently in a period of heightened uncertainty. The recent repricing of both stocks and bonds gives us really good starting points for long-term returns. So our long-term portfolio expectations are actually slightly higher than they were just a year ago. And we still think there are good investment opportunities available. Volatility is probably going to increase from here in the short term, resulting from some of the economic ups and downs ahead, but we're planning for that and we're managing our portfolios more defensively than normal as a result. Our philosophy is to build great portfolios, ones that our customers can invest all of their hard-earned money in. That means we need to build our portfolios for the long term, 
but take into consideration all that the world can throw our way and adapt as needed. So what I'm hearing is think long-term, stay focused on your investment plans and goals, and not to dwell too much on the day-to-day fluctuations in markets and in your investment portfolio. I'll just quickly add that speaking to your MD advisor can help with that. Confirm that you're still on track to meet your goals and provide context that can be missed with attention-grabbing news and headlines. Craig, Wes, I really appreciate this conversation. On behalf of our listeners, thank you for the update and your outlook. As always, if you have any questions about what we spoke about today, questions about your portfolio, please don't be shy. Reach out to an MD advisor. Whether you're a client or not, we're here to help. If you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider and check out our other market commentary content available on md.ca. You'll find blog posts, videos, and much more. Last but not least, thank you for listening to the MD Market Watch podcast, and thank you to all the doctors and healthcare professionals out there for taking care of us. Bye, everybody. 